sacredheartradio.com It is Tuesday, the 11th of July, the Feast of St. Benedict of Nursia. Let's pray a prayer of his in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious and Holy Father, grant us the intellect to understand you, a reason to discern you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, a spirit to know you, a heart to meditate upon you. May our ears hear you, may our eyes behold you, and may our tongues proclaim you. Give us grace that our way of life may be pleasing to you, that we may have the patience to wait for you and the perseverance to look for you. Grant us a perfect end, your holy presence, a blessed resurrection and life everlasting. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Benedict pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along on a Tuesday morning. Happy Feast Day to all who have Benedict or Ben in your name. And uh, I know there are many. Uh, There's probably a lot more than there used to be. I'd say that there are a fair amount of them under the age of 18 out there. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, we'll talk to Father Boniface Hicks, who is himself a Benedictine monk. And uh, get some thoughts from him on St. Benedict today. Marlon De La Torre will join us from knowingisdoing.org. Jo- Dr. John Cutterback will talk about St. Thomas Aquinas and his two remedies for affliction. And some of you have the Catholic Home Gallery from Ignatius Press. And if you don't, you should check it out because Gwyneth Thompson Briggs, an artist featured in there, is going to be with us at the end of the hour to talk about how she depicts St. Benedict and St. Scholastica, his twin sister, in the Catholic Home Gallery. So, stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. President Biden is set to meet one-on-one with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky at this week's NATO summit in Europe. The White House confirmed the news and it's reported the meeting will take place tomorrow. Russia's war in Ukraine is among the top agenda items for NATO leaders this week. Biden recently made clear that he believes the war must end before Ukraine can join NATO. Back here at home, more than 42 million Americans are under heat warnings this week. Mark Mayfield reports. Extreme heat is already hitting the southwest in states including California and Arizona, and the dangerous conditions are only expected to get worse. The National Weather Service warns Phoenix residents to be ready for temperatures soaring into the triple digits. Parts of Texas and Florida are also feeling the heat blast this week and could also see record temperatures. I'm Mark Mayfield. An expert witness is expected to return to the stand today in the Pittsburgh Synagogue shooter trial. Forensic psychiatrist Dr. Park Dietz, who has been testifying as a rebuttal witness for the prosecution, interviewed Robert Bowers over a three-day period in May. Last month, the jury found him Guilty on all counts in the 2018 mass shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue that killed 11 people. After their sessions, Dietz concluded that Bowers 
did have the capacity to form the intent to kill. As tension and violence have grown recently in the Holy Land, the Patriarch of Jerusalem says he believes his appointment to the rank of cardinal shows his city's vocation to dialogue. Archbishop Pierre Battista Pizzaballa will be among the 21 men elevated to the College of Cardinals by Pope Francis on September 30th. He told Vatican Media that the church in Jerusalem has a vocation to universality, dialogue, and encounter, and a mission to call all Christians and non-Christians to encounter and to reconciliation. He said he believes his elevation to cardinal is an invitation to continue along this path. The American-born bishop announced by Pope Francis to be a new cardinal has expressed his surprise and gratitude. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni has more. Amongst those just appointed is Augustinian Archbishop Robert Prevost, Prefect of the Dicastery for Bishops. Archbishop Prevost is from Chicago and a member of the Order of St. Augustine. He served for a decade and a half in the missions in Peru, followed by teaching in the U.S., leadership roles as Prior General of the entire Order for two terms and later as a bishop in Peru. Pope Francis appointed him Prefect of the Dicastery for Bishops in 2023. Reacting to Pope Francis's naming him a cardinal, Archbishop Prevost expressed his incredible surprise while also entrusting to the Lord this new responsibility and all it entails. For me, it's not coincidence that that uh, Pope Francis has decided to name this new group of cardinals uh, right at the very beginning of the first session of the Universal Synod on Synodality. And I truly believe that all of us are called to walk together. That's what synodality means, or synod means, but to to truly search for the will of God, the presence of the Spirit, listening to one another, and, and carrying on this mission of service and of love that, that is so much central to the, to the very meaning of what church is about, and to follow Jesus Christ and to continue his mission in the world. That was Cardinal-elect Robert Prevost, Prefect of the Dicastery for Bishops. I'm Linda Bordoni. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is Major League Baseball's 2023 Home Run Derby champion. He joined his father to become the first father-son duo to win the event he took home what hit home 25 home runs yeah he didn't have to touch the plate you know but it is pretty uh it's pretty fun event every year i gotta say julio rodriguez you see his uh i did not watch his round where he hit 41 i was too busy watching t-ball last night that's basically what the home run derby is (laughs) so uh, it resembles you know, Pete baseball had a better night. in uh, some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So, you know, Pete's regular pitcher that he uh, he practices with had like some elbow problems, so he had a fill-in guy, and he was getting a lot of low and outside. Mm. You know, which you know, bear in mind that for a lot of these guys, you know, at the plate, this is what they do every day. But for a pitcher throwing that many pitches in three minutes, mm-hmm. that's a that's a workout on the arm. Yep. Now, what I did not realize, it, you know, you've got all these people who pick their their pitchers. You know, right, sometimes right, it's right, like, yeah. you know, they're the guy who throws them batting practice every day or or something like that. You know, who threw uh, Vlad Guerrero 
his pitches. Was it his dad? No, it's the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so That's John okay. Schneider was like, uh, throwing Vlad. It's like, I mean, it'd be like if David Bell was throwing batting practice to Joey Votto. It's just a very strange thing. Or 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 Aaron Boone throwing batting practice to Aaron Judge. It would just be, I, I was like, whoa, that's weird. That's weird. Very strange. Well, you know, stranger things have happened, I think. Did you see that the Yankees hired Sean Casey to be their hitting coach? What? Yep. That's not where the mayor belongs. Just thought I would let you know, Matt. That's not where the mayor belongs. Put him in Detroit, at least. No. Kind of put him in Cincinnati. But put him in Detroit if you can't get him in Cincinnati. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for joining us on this Feast of St. Benedict of Nursio, one of the most interesting saints in the history of the church and whose impact, I mean, it's really hard to measure. We're joined now by Father Boniface Hicks, who is himself a Benedictine monk. Father Boniface, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Great to talk to you. Yeah, and so there are so many great Benedictine saints. Uh, the order traces itself back to, though, I mean, interestingly enough and obviously enough, St. Benedict himself. Uh, this is a man who lived like a millennium and a half ago almost. Why are we still talking about him today? <laughs> yeah, I like to say uh, as long ago as St. Francis is for us, that's how long ago St. Benedict was for him. <laughs> so it really is a, a long time ago that St. Benedict uh, walked this earth, and yet his impact has uh, really lasted, spread throughout the world, and lasted for 1,500 years. He, he uh, wrote a rule, and that rule of Benedict is still uh, looked to for wisdom and followed by Benedictine monks and nuns uh, around the world. Uh, and... It, it has a, a combination of, of being uh, obviously rooted in the gospel, which is eternal and universal, and then also uh, flexible enough to adjust to time and place, and, and still uh, a wisdom that organizes men and women to live together, seeking God and fostering charity, in a way that has really transformed civilization. St. Benedict lived in um, the early 500s, and just after the, well, already in the lifetime of St. Benedict, things were falling apart in Rome, and then really far, fell apart in Rome, but uh, Benedictine missionaries spread, spread out to England, and then to Germany, and throughout the continent, and established enclaves of civilization. The, the rule of Benedict, the peace of Benedict, replaced the, the peace of Rome, which had really fallen apart, and the, but the peace of Benedict, the peace of Rome was was built on uh, command and control. The peace of Benedict is really built on the gospel and uh, teaching men and women to live together, fostering learning, and fostering agriculture, fostering a life of of order and peace that became a powerful force for evangelization and uh, a foundation for rebuilding culture. And that's really the culture that uh, that Western civilization is built on. And so, so St. Benedict is really a, a patriarch of Western civilization. So yeah, just an incredible impact uh, that this man had. Well, you already answered my next question, which is, you know, when he's looking around and it's uh, a political mess and 
you know, society is falling apart. Why doesn't he go run for office instead if he really wants to fix the world, <laughs> right? Or why doesn't he make sure he's reading, you know, the uh, – Oh, I, I don't know. It's not, it wouldn't be the Romans' time. Maybe it's the Times New Roman. I don't know. Why isn't he like immersed in all the political dealings of the day? What a fascinating thing that in all of this, this what would be seemingly be like the least useful thing for him to do ends up being the thing that endures. Yeah, that's right. He actually went to Rome to study uh, at, in the university, basically, and was so appalled by the decadence of Rome that he left and just went into a cave and began to live a solitary life as a hermit. And then uh, his sanctity became known in the area, and some men who wanted to live a more uh, life more dedicated to God as monks asked him to be an abbot over them. And, and that's kind of the drama uh, that, that unfolded. And so, yeah, it really preserved uh, dedication to God, a, a life of putting God at the center. A, a real keynote of the rule is that God's presence is always with us. And then we know that especially when we pray the divine office or the liturgy of the hours. And so he arranged a life for, uh, for men and women to live that is centered on God's presence and finding him in everything, in the stranger, in the work, in the the abbot, and the young, and the guest, and the sick. Uh, and so learning to see God everywhere and in everything, our principal goal is to see God. And then we also gather for the, the praise of God, for the divine office, praying the, the Psalms, doing readings. And in that way, uh, the, the liturgy of the hours really developed and, and became a centerpiece. And then such a love for, uh, for the Word and that's, uh, of course, the word of Scripture above all, but then just words in general. The monks uh, really saved learning and scholarship and copied a lot of books. They copied books both secular and sacred, and, and that really preserved uh, the, the patrimony of Western civilization in those monastic settings. Yeah, I think whenever I hear somebody talk about how the church needs to be countercultural, I think, how oh, church needs to be cultural, because I don't see Benedict <laughs> as being countercultural. I see him as being cultural. Yeah, that's right. That's a good way to say it. He cultivated uh, a, a way of living that was uh, yeah, maintaining the, the best of what humanity offers. Yeah, he's definitely building culture, but building a culture that's centered on God centered on the Word of God and centered on the order and peace of God and the praise of God, rather than centered on money and power and self-indulgence and pleasure and lots of things like that. All right, so I guess my, my last question is, you know, the, the Rule of St. Benedict's a pretty good book, pretty quick read. How often do you, as a Benedictine monk, read it, either alone or in your community? Well, we read it every day at dinner, so we read through the Rule uh, a Full read three times a year, and uh, and we're constantly referencing it. It really has incredible wisdom, and uh, it's it's, a, it's really a beautiful. It's not an easy read in the sense that it's kind of like scripture. You need to know the context, and you need to, it helps to have a little bit of a commentary because there are some things that need to be translated from 1500 years ago. But but it really contains beautiful wisdom for living together and for loving God. Well, thank you so much, Father uh, Boniface. And since it is the feast of your order's founder, would you mind leaving us with a blessing? Of course. Through the intercession of St. Benedict, may you and all of the listeners enjoy 
the peace of Benedict, living a life of order centered on God. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, thank you so much, Father Boniface Hicks, and uh, thank you for your time, and thank you for uh, being part of this great order that continues today. Yeah, happy feast day to you and everyone. All right, St. Benedict, pray for us. It's 16 minutes past the hour. Got headlines with Anna Mitchell next. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Do you use a single-brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some Monk Shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And I wanted to tell you guys how great your show is because uh, I listen to you guys for every, every day for the last past five and a half months. It's because of you guys that I came to the Catholic faith. Now I'm going to church on Sunday for the first time because I just got out yesterday from jail. And I got my mom to go too. And my girlfriend is also going with me. Wow. She's willing to give the Catholic faith a try. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis today has appointed a new bishop of Fairbanks, Alaska. President Biden will meet one-on-one with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky at this week's NATO summit in Europe. And Pope Francis reflected on sports as he met yesterday with the Celta Football Club. The Celta Football Club. C-E-L-T-A. Okay. Celebrating their centenary. The cross of St. James is part of their insignia. Okay, then. Speaking of insignias, Mm -hmm. uh, there are some people out there who have Benedict medals. I have one right in front of me. Medal. And And on my keychain. Remember that story I told you the other day? I did. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a little providential St. Anthony story. Yes. Uh, But if you look at the St. Benedict medal, there's just letters, like, all over that thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So the letters on the back, if you see the uh, CSSML going down the uh, vertical beam of the cross, the NDSMD going across the horizontal beam of the cross, you got the Mm -hmm. SMQLIVB up the left side, the VRSNSMV going down the right side. Now, if you've ever wondered what those mean, do you know off the top of your head? Not, I don't remember off the top of my head, no. All right, so going down... 
the vertical. You've got Kruk, Sakra, Sit, Mihi, Luks, and then across the side, Non Draco, Sit, Mihi, Dux, which means, may the Holy Cross be my light, let not the devil be my guide, mm. which makes sense because you uh, often you know, wear it and uh, pray for protection against spiritual warfare. The uh, Not against spiritual warfare. Against spir- well, against having to enter into it. Right, okay. I just wanted to be clear. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be in it, personally. <laughs> exactly. But my favorite is the stuff that goes up to sides and uh, and down the other side, which is the uh, VRSNSMV SMQLIVB, which stands in, in Latin. It's Vade Retro Satana Nunquam Suade Mihivana, which uh, it goes, Be gone, Satan. Never suggest vain things to me. And then finally, down the other side, Sunt mala quae libas ipse venena bibas, which is what you offer me is evil. Drink your own poison. Yes. I like it. Good stuff. I will pray against spiritual warfare. I, have, I want nothing to do with that. St. <laughs> Benedict, pray for pray us. Pray for us. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. By underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. A meditation from St. Augustine's Confessions. Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved you. You were within me, but I was outside, and it was there that I searched for you. In my unloveliness, I plunged into the lovely things which you created. You were with me, but I was not with you. Created things kept me from you, yet if they had not been in you, they would have been not at all. You called, you shouted, and you broke through my deafness. You flashed, you shone, and you dispelled my blindness. You breathed your fragrance on me. I drew in breath, and now I pant for you. I have tasted you, now I hunger and thirst for more. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Marlon De La Torre from the Diocese of Columbus. He is online at knowingisdoing.org. Marlon, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Go Bucks. So we've got uh, some St. Paul to talk about this morning. And when it comes to being, you know, bold about our faith, I mean, there are sort of good and bad ways to do that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. uh, you know, regardless of whether or not we're out being pretty vocal about it or just trying to live Christian life in the world, Paul's pretty clear that we should not be ashamed of the gospel, right? 
That's true. It, it, there, if, if you've been given a responsibility, which he has, and he fully recognizes that in his letter to the Romans, um, go out and preach. Discuss it. Talk about it. Uh, be bold. Uh, proclaim the very gift that God has given you. And so he, he makes this, um, I think, proclamation or saga of the gospel very clear to those around him that you've been given an identity. You've been given a reason. And so he recognizes that. And he says, look, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of what Christ has done. I am called to really bring forth the idea that salvation occurs through Jesus Christ. And it's only through him and our faithfulness in him that we can achieve this uh, ultimate end uh, goal, which is heaven. So he, he makes it pretty clear. Uh, and we really... Uh, attribute a lot of the of the practical wisdom of how to uh, really initiate the proclamation of the gospel to him because he, he does it in such a beautiful but direct way. You know, it's interesting because Paul's world in some ways is very much like our own and in some ways is very it is, different yeah. than, than yeah. our own. In St. Paul's case, he's dealing with people who've never heard any of this stuff before mm-hmm. in their entire lives, <laughs> right? So Correct. he's got to start from square one. In our day... We're kind of dealing with a situation where everybody thinks they've heard it, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, chances are they heard a messed up version of it, or they heard it from mm-hmm. somebody they didn't like, or mm-hmm. they, you know, heard a piece here and a piece there of it. I mean, we have kind of a different and interesting challenge when it comes to being ashamed of it, because it's very easy for me, Marlon, to be ashamed of a bad example of somebody else or a bad. Uh, explanation of something and for me to just not enter the conversation at all uh and you know let my my shame towards other ways that people have presented this keep me from getting involved oh absolutely there it's a i would say not even a play on words but it's just a a play on the actual message itself where uh you may look at yourself as being incompatible with it or you're indifferent uh, to that message whether you should even say anything at all or am i at times worthy or do i just see uh the point is not being really relevant to me and so that is a distinction between paul's time and ours where now we've developed this theology of indifference and that indifference says well you know what maybe i'm good enough maybe i'm not is it really worth it uh should i even begin to proclaim this type of uh, gospel message Um, who am i uh, in that respect. So really, uh, we begin to tear ourselves apart or at the same time become so indifferent that you know what, it's just like any other message. And my message is a little bit more softer, a little bit more uh, cleaner than what God is asking of me or what I read in this scripture, in this Bible. And so you can just take a myriad of things uh, to really convince yourself otherwise. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, I mean, this you mentioned this idea of indifferentism that that you know, my religion is what I've got, and uh, I appreciate yeah. it for what it is. But in the grand scheme of things, I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, what uh, everybody's doing their best, and it, it doesn't really matter. You know, Correct. C.S. Lewis has this great quote where, where he says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Correct. And if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it mm-hmm. cannot be is moderately important, <laughs> right? Correct. And uh, I, I think that's where we sometimes fall is that we've got our life and Christianity is like sort of like sprinkled on the outside and and mm-hmm. you know it's 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 sort of this extra thing that we do um outside of our real lives and oh, that can't absolutely. be the case no I agree I think um, I, I mentioned here that there's there's a, a matter and form of the gospel and how we 
have two realities that if we understand them well, we will fiercely defend them to death. And when you look at the, the fact that the matter of the gospel is, is Jesus Christ himself and the form is the proclamation or the willingness to say yes to him and hopefully bring it to someone else who's also searching, that that becomes basically your part of your identity. And if you see the reality of what Christ did, you will be so intimately impacted by it, depending on your openness to him, that you will do everything you can to defend it. You will do everything you can to lead someone back to him who's walking away or running away from our Lord. And that's what St. Paul is trying to encourage us to do, is the fact that, are you willing? Do you understand what has just happened? Your salvation is at stake. Will you defend it? Will you articulate it in some way? And so if you do, then there's no shame in that. That that's the beauty of God's gift through His Son Jesus Christ. We're a lot bolder about things that are a lot less important. Uh, you know, Marlon, you lived in Michigan for a while. Would you have ever yeah. been like, I cannot wear this Ohio State Buckeyes shirt to the Waffle House? I'm too ashamed of my allegiance to the Ohio State Buckeyes. My guess is no. You'd be like, heck yeah, I'm wearing my shirt heck in there. Yeah, I absolutely there was no problem with that. Even with all the stairs, I felt I was going through the gauntlet. But who cares? Yeah. So I mean. <laughs> What we're talking about is significantly more weightier than uh, than the idea of a, a Big Ten allegiance. So, absolutely, Marlon De La Torre, if our listeners want to read some of your thoughts on this and maybe uh, do a little bit of a gut check on on ourselves as to where we stand on this question, how do we how do we find your writings? You can find them at knowingisdoing.org or the Diocese Columbus linked at sunrisemorningshow.com thanks Marlon as always I know you're not ashamed to say it so uh, say it on your uh, way out amen thanks Matt go Bucks. see there it is if he's not ashamed of that neither is Anna Mitchell by the way by the go way Bucks. you can find yeah see even Anna Mitchell turned on her mic for that I'm telling you <laughs> coming up after the break we got some more great stuff after the news I should say uh, we'll be uh, chatting more about Benedict of Nursia with Gwyneth Thompson Briggs. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis today has appointed a new bishop for the Diocese of Fairbanks, Alaska. The Holy Father has chosen Dominican Father Stephen Mikawa to take over the vacancy left when Bishop Chad Zielinski was appointed the Bishop of New Ulm, Minnesota a year ago. Up until now, the bishop-elect has been serving as a parish priest in the Archdiocese of Anchorage, Juneau. President Biden is set to meet one-on-one with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky at this week's NATO summit in Europe. The White House has confirmed the news, and the meeting is expected to take place tomorrow. Russia's war in Ukraine is among the top agenda items for NATO leaders this week. Biden recently made clear that he thinks the war in Ukraine must end before Ukraine can join the NATO alliance. Biden landed in Lithuania yesterday for the summit. More than 42 million Americans are under heat warnings this week. Mark Mayfield reports. Extreme heat is already hitting the southwest in states including California and Arizona, and the dangerous conditions are only expected to get worse. The National Weather Service warns Phoenix residents to be ready for temperatures soaring into the triple digits. Parts of Texas and Florida are also feeling the heat blast this week and could also see record temperatures. I'm Mark Mayfield. The city of Memphis is attempting to stop a civil lawsuit filed by Tyree Nichols' mother and his estate. 
The motion was filed saying the city was not responsible for Nichols' death, adding that it was, quote, five rogue police officers. Nichols was beaten by Memphis police during a traffic stop and died from his injuries days later. In the lawsuit, the city says it does not condone the actions of the officers, but adds that the city itself should not be held liable. Nichols' mother filed the $555 million lawsuit against the city, officers, and police chief. Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Celta football team, reflecting on how sports teach sacrifice and teamwork. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Noting that Celta bears the same sky-blue colors of the Virgin Mary and of the national team of Argentina, Pope Francis started his reflection by remarking that it is almost as if Mary had wanted to put herself between the two shores of the Atlantic, which has united us more than separating us, so that we never forget her. The Pope further reflected on another feature of the insignia of the club, the cross of St. James, rising like a banner of victory. Like the cross of St. James, the Pope remarked, both in the stadium and in life, your weapons are those small gestures to which we sometimes don't pay any attention, working as a team without relying only on one's own strength and understanding that victory belongs to everyone. It is also giving oneself generously, sparing no effort, knowing how to sacrifice oneself for the other. Moreover, the Pope continued, it is accepting that comparing ourselves with other teams serves to improve, to learn, to test ourselves and evaluate our game. In this light, the adversary is always a welcome friend. If our game and our life will coherently set this example, Pope Francis remarked, we will be able to convey not the passion for the colours that exclude, but the love for what they represent. Concluding, the Pope insisted once again on the importance of preserving the amateur dimension of sport. When sport loses this dimension, he warned, it turns into an aseptic business. I am Lisa Zengarini. Summer gas prices so far have been holding steady nationwide. Trey Thomas has the story. AAA's Brian Ortner says this is a welcome change from the traditional summer spike. We're still hovering around that $70 per barrel range, a little bit above it as the week begins. You know, but we look at the last week, even with the high demand, pump prices barely budged really over the past week. And that's even with more demand as, as people hit the road over the 4th of July holidays. The nationwide average is around 3.54 a gallon. I'm Trey Thomas. And the opening bell rings this morning on Wall Street after Monday's higher close. Investors are now awaiting the start of second quarter earnings season. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 past the hour. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. 
When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. There is no need to get upset if we find that we are not on equally friendly terms with everyone, provided we love our neighbor cordially, with real affection, as the Lord has commanded us, preferring the other person always and in everything above ourselves, according to the order of holy charity, and never refusing to do anything we can for him or her. We must be prepared to do everything for our neighbor except damn ourselves. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show Dr. John Cutterback. He's a philosophy professor at Christendom College, and you can take his man or woman of the household course over at his site, life-craft.org. Good morning, Dr. Cutterback. Good morning, Annie. It's good to have you back. And we're going to be talking about a couple of remedies that St. Thomas Aquinas recommends when experiencing affliction. Now, when we say remedies, I think we should set this out from the get-go. This does not necessarily mean that doing these well will make your affliction completely go away, correct? Uh, that's absolutely the case, Annie. Uh, it, it, it's more pointing to things that God has provided. It's part of how, I, I dare say, we, we manage and we deal with the normal pains, sufferings, and sorrows of this veil of tears. Yeah, manage. That's a good word. Now, with that said, you might think that someone like Thomas Aquinas would have some really high-minded, like, theological remedies, right? But these two things that you discuss in your blog post over at Lifecraft, they're so practical. So tell us first about the importance of sleep. Yeah, it, it, it is, um, it, it's really neat. This, this comes out in actually St. Thomas's uh, commentary and analysis of the book of Job. And one thing that he notes is that in, in Job's great suffering, he particularly was deprived of sleep, which there, St. Thomas points out, is, is a normal remedy for sorrow, noting that if nothing else, when you wake up in the morning, you tend to have this new disposition. I, 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 I see it as kind of twofold. One, it's just, hey, 
we're bodily creatures. We need to be well-rested. Being well-rested is always going to make a big difference in our being able to address the things of life well. And the other, I think, is just a simple gift of divine providence uh, that is referred to in the Psalms when you're waiting for morning, that there's something about morning that is is just kind of that special gift of, of beginning with that fresh look. Absolutely. And I think the importance of rest is um, is just inherent in the human person for, for so many different reasons, don't you think? I mean, like the true meaning of rest. I know what a big fan you are of, of Joseph Pieper and uh, the idea of, of rest as being resting in God. And if you can give that time of sleep to the Lord, that I think would be helpful. Yep. Yep, you know the deep, deep connection between kind of different levels of of, of rest, mm-hmm. but you know that first level of giving our body the appropriate rest is uh, I, I think sometimes we might think be scrupulous and think, well, you know, we're supposed to you know be, be ready to forego that. Well, of course, in certain cases we might we might have to forego it, but at the same time, I think there's a certain humility in recognizing this is the this is the daily plan for us that we receive that gift, that at times we have to actually work a little bit to make that gift happen. Mm-hmm. But doing that will always be fruitful. Yeah. Never overlook the obvious. Now then, talking to yourself, Dr. Cutterback, isn't that what crazy people do? Yeah. Well, I'm, I, you know, and of course there's talking to yourself and there's talking to yourself. <laughs> okay, that's true. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, love, I, I have to think here, St. Thomas has in mind, um, a, a great section in Aristotle, where Aristotle, talking about friendship, says that the habit of talking to yourself well in the sense of having a good interior conversation is the foundation for you knowing how to have good conversations with others. But it, 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 also, it also connects, and you and I have done some studying of Socrates together. Socrates talking about the, the examined life. We need, we need to live a life where we're, we are in a reasonable way, consistently going over things in a rational way. How does this fit in? How does this make sense? Why perhaps is this happening? Of course, one can go too far. One can demand more answers than are available. But our rational nature does call for always weighing things. And, And that interior conversation of kind of working through sorrows in, in, in a reasonable way is again not it's not as though that's going to you're going to always find the reason that you are suffering and even if you do find you know the reason to sort this out more it doesn't mean that the suffering is going to go away but it's a central aspect of how we reasonably <laughs> deal with it yeah yeah now let's put the two together for a moment here dr cutterback what can be the benefit of talking to yourself just before going to sleep well i love you know st thomas explicitly makes this recommendation of you know, reach for scripture, take a, a, a good, helpful, encouraging, hopeful line. You know, so many uh, in, in in the epistles of Saint Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, Sophia and I have been have been practicing this, and you say that line maybe a couple times right before you go to sleep, and that kind of goes into that sleeping time with you. And so it, it makes a big deal of the last kind of conscious thoughts that we have. And probably the easiest way to kind of guide them is just go to Scripture. You know, we started off by saying that this doesn't necessarily remove the affliction from your life, but it does give you some perspective 
when you do this. And isn't this what the constellation of philosophy is all about, Dr. Cutterbeck? Amen. Amen. Nice, nice, nice tie-in. I, I love the word perspective there is, is, is key. Isn't so much, so much actually of our suffering uh, that we've kind of lost perspective? Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying that that means that when we have perspective, that means all of our suffering goes away. There's that, there's that delicate balance of accepting the suffering that we've been given, but at the same time, there's no reason for it to be worse than it needs to be. And, and how about transforming the suffering from within by being in that perspective where we see things more as God sees them? Well, speaking of the constellation of philosophy, just to give us a little bit of perspective before uh, before we let you go here, Dr. Cutterback, can you talk about what Boethius was experiencing when he wrote the constellation of philosophy? Oh, sheesh. Well, you know, I mean, he, he was experiencing abandonment, you know, be, being in prison, ha- having, having the and he was in prison precisely because of, of his justice and, uh, you know, standing up for the truth to the king. And, uh, and have, you know, Lord, really? I mean, here I'm, you know, I'm working for your common, common good. And you know, is this, is this the way it's gonna, is this the way it's gonna end? Does this make sense? And, you know, and but, and, and, which, it was a particularly bad instance of it. Yeah. But you know, is, I mean, our Lord did warn us, right? I mean, in some sense, we're all gonna, we're all gonna see this in our own age, in our own time now. I mean, we have to be re- ready to suffer precisely because we are just. But isn't that one of the beatitudes? Mm-hmm. So, you know, boy, it's just a beautiful instance of showing us someone who works that through and then feels the the new vision of our Lord saying, hey, remember, this is part of my loving plan. You ultimately should be thanking me for this. Most definitely. Thank you so much, Dr. John Cutterback. And you can go read his blog post on this over at life-craft.org and go clicking around on the website. Lots of good stuff there, including a free man of the household or woman of the household, depending on whether you're a man or a woman, man or woman of the household course that you can take for free with Dr. Cutterback. Life-craft.org, and it's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Don't forget to uh, click the subscribe button when you are over there at our website, checking out the show notes so that you can get a link to the show notes every single morning in your inbox. Coming up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, artist Gwyneth Thompson Briggs will join us. She's got a couple of contributions to the Catholic Home Gallery, including today's saint, St. Benedict. It's 14 till. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. I'm Matt Swain, grateful that Visiting Angels underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide to continue living at home rather than a nursing home. Experienced, compassionate caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. And services are provided up to 24 hours per day with caregiver selection before service begins. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, 
ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. St. Augustine gives us tremendous insight as to why we should pray. He says this, Why God should ask us to pray when he knows what we need even before we ask him? may perplex us if we do not realize that our Lord and God does not want to know what we want, for as God, he cannot fail to already know it. But rather, he wants us to exercise our desire through our prayers so that we may be able to receive what he is preparing to give us. Well, Till, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis today has appointed a new bishop for the Diocese of Fairbanks, Alaska. More than 42 million Americans are under heat warnings this week. And Pope Francis met yesterday with members of a soccer team reflecting on how sports teach sacrifice and teamwork. Next newscast coming up in about 14-ish minutes from now. As the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 12 till. Happy to welcome to the Sunrise Morning Show, Gwyneth Thompson Briggs. She's an artist online at GwynethThompsonBriggs.com and she's featured in the Catholic Home Gallery curated by John Harriet from Ignatius Press. Gwyneth, good morning. Good morning. I have to say that the Sunrise Morning Show has been a fan of your art for quite some time, particularly your image of St. Lawrence, who's my boy. But um, looking at your website, I've become even more of a fan of what you do. But I was reading in your bio, you hold advanced degrees in physics and engineering. How in the world did you get into art? Well, I just thought art wasn't practical, so I loved art <laughs> so much, but I thought, how do I pay for this? And I had heard a rumor that um, that engineers can make a living, so um, I thought, oh, you know, I'll do that, but I didn't realize you can't really be um, an engineer if you don't like engineering. <laughs> so I sort of forced myself through it, and then I just realized, you know, this this is not my vocation. And so I'm always delighted when I meet engineers because I think, okay, here's someone living their vocation and then, you know, it's okay. I can I can go ahead and be an artist. Somebody else has that covered. Yeah, that's awesome. You must be really into STEAM now. You know, there was STEM and now there's STEAM. They're including art in it. You know, I'm not. No, you're not. <laughs> Honestly, I think uh, I think everyone should, uh, should study higher level calculus because it's really beautiful and I think it's kind of, uh, you know, it makes you appreciate um, the aesthetics of art, but I think it's also okay to be kind of a, a Luddite and um, to re- re-engage with so many forgotten forms of real life, uh, whether it's gardening or writing real letters, especially for children. I think we can sort of take the emphasis off of, of practical applications, I guess I could say. Yeah. I completely agree. Now, what would you say is the importance of art in general and sacred art in particular? Oh, well, I mean, I I think um, art just has this wonderful ability to uh, lift us, lift us up and uh, contemplate the things of God. You know, it's, um, it's so similar to prayer in that it's lifting of both the mind and the heart. 
it's dim similar in the sense that you need to be really careful about what art you are looking at because not all art is created equal. And I think especially today, a lot of things get called art, which uh, have nothing to do with, with God or with beauty, that the, you know, the artist is in this uh, very um, tricky situation. You know, there's a lot of moral responsibility there, but um, you just, uh, you know, there's, there's no art police going around saying, you know, you should be creating more and maybe you a little less. Well, uh, I hope that you will create more art. You've got uh, definitely a more traditional approach to painting. How would you describe your art? Yeah, I'd say that my my work definitely grows out of the Catholic traditions, particularly uh, the Boston School approach um, and also the Spanish Baroque. Uh, Both of those are types of art that I really love. Um, And so the more that I paint, though, I find that there's this other style that is just there emerging. And and you were so kind to say that you're enjoying my work even more now since the last time you checked in. And I have to thank all of my patrons for the last few years because really you can't become a good artist unless you paint all the time. And um, I've been painting full-time for about four years now and notice such a difference that I want to just encourage all of those, you know, incipient artists out there. You just need to keep painting, keep painting, and it gets easier and it gets more fun and you kind of get to know your style a little bit better too. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why we've been doing a series on the Catholic Home Gallery is in hopes that those who have the means to commission good art will be inspired to do so. So the two pieces that are in the Catholic Home Gallery are paintings you did of St. Benedict and St. Scholastica. Talk about how you got this commission. Yes, this was, uh, I was contacted by uh, the abbot of a Benedictine monastery who asked for these for um, for altarpieces within the monastery. And um, I, uh, I, I felt a little bit nervous knowing that my paintings were going over altars. Mm. That's pretty much the highest end that any art can have. And so um, I tried not to think about that, but instead I focused on researching Benedict and Scholastica. And um, I just loved that project because I found two siblings to model for Benedict and Scholastica, who were, of course, siblings themselves. And um, I was able to purchase traditional, well, not purchase, but borrow traditional Benedictine habits that are so beautiful, so graceful, and there's nothing like studying an actual habit in natural light to to really try to capture it. Wow. So you had two siblings that I was going to ask you how you went about determining what these two would look like. Yeah. Well, you know, this is one of those things where uh, with with older saints, you know, I uh, we don't have any photographs of them, and so there's a little bit more freedom involved on how to uh, best capture their portrait. And really their portrait becomes not uh, a literal depiction of what they looked like, but a spiritual portrait as far as saying, what do we know about their life, their personality, and um, how can that be captured either by one model or actually oftentimes I use several models for just one saint. And so with about a minute before we have to let you go, Gwyneth, what were your priorities in the painting of these two great saints? Um, I guess I wanted to visually link their 
their lives and their missions together, um, but also try to um, gain just a, a little bit of insight into their uh, spirituality. And so um, seeking to uh, capture the, the, the optimism of, of starting an order and um, really the beauty of the, the discipline of the uh, Benedictine order as well. Um, so there's an emphasis on the authority uh, shown in the crozier that uh, St. Scholastica holds in her hand, and then um, the uh, the rule that St. Benedict is holding in his hands. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to love about these paintings, but you want to know what my favorite part is? What is that? The clouds behind St. Scholastica. Oh, I'm so glad. I love that, storm. too. <laughs> yes, who prayed for the storm so she could stay with her brother Benedict longer one night. I love it. It's in the Catholic Home Gallery, which you can find linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Gwyneth Thompson-Briggs, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. It was very exciting to have you on this Feast of St. Benedict. Matt, have you seen those paintings? Yeah, her stuff is great. She's a great Twitter follow. Oh, is she? Yes. Oh. So uh, don't uh, don't be following all the dumb right things now. that make you mad. Go to Gwyneth Thompson Briggs. Let me see if I can find exactly. It's at GTB Sacred Art. Ah, got it. At GTB Sacred Art. One of the coolest following. things about hers is she'll show you stuff that's in progress. Oh, cool. So you can see like how it goes from stage to stage. She just did one on St. Rose. Neat. Only the flowers on her head are colored so far. Very yeah. cool. Looks cool. Another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up. It's three minutes till. It is Tuesday, the 11th of July, the Feast of St. Benedict of Nursia. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. You spoke to your people in the desert. Let us hear your words in the silence of our prayer. You sent your Son and Word into the world for our salvation. Open our hearts to the gift of his love. You teach your people through all the saints. Instruct us in their wisdom. O God, you called St. Benedict into the wilderness to dwell with you in solitude and into the heart of a community to dwell with you in service to others. Through his intercession, lead us by your word to hear and heed your will for us this day and every day through Christ our Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Benedict, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along on this feast day of the founder of the Benedictine Order. Some of you have uh, connections through the Benedictine family tree. Some of you have or are uh, you know, named Benedict. Maybe you have family members named Benedict. I once had a pope named Benedict. Uh, that was pretty cool. I'm Matt Swaim, Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, uh, we're going to talk to Father Frank Donio. He's been talking about marriage and accompaniment and uh, helping people to be better formed in that 
sacrament. And today we're going to talk about accompanying widows and widowers, uh, people who have received that sacrament uh, but now are flying solo um, or trying to figure out what God would have them to do with this next stage in their life. Father Patrick Briscoe will discuss the disappearing, uh, I guess you could say, blue-collar pew representation at our masses and what we can do to do a better job of not becoming just a bunch of people who are too suburban for our own good. Steve Ray will discuss the friends and enemies of God in Scripture, and then Chris McGregor on this Feast of St. Benedict will look at some selections from St. Benedict in the Office of Readings. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis today has appointed a new bishop for the Diocese of Fairbanks, Alaska. The Holy Father has chosen Dominican Father Stephen Mikawa to take over the vacancy left by Bishop Chad Zielinski, who was appointed the Bishop of New Ulm, Minnesota a year ago. Up until now, the bishop-elect has been serving as a parish priest in the Archdiocese of Anchorage, Juneau. President Biden is joining other NATO leaders at a summit in Lithuania. The meeting comes just as alliance member Turkey has dropped its objections to Sweden joining, spurred by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The two-day summit also gives NATO an opportunity to reiterate its support for Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is expected to attend the summit tomorrow and meet in person with President Biden. Zelensky has been vocal about his nation's desire to join the alliance, but that is something not yet being considered while the war with Russia continues. More than 42 million Americans are under heat warnings this week. Mark Mayfield reports. Extreme heat is already hitting the southwest in states including California and Arizona, and the dangerous conditions are only expected to get worse. The National Weather Service warns Phoenix residents to be ready for temperatures soaring into the triple digits. Parts of Texas and Florida are also feeling the heat blast this week and could also see record temperatures. I'm Mark Mayfield. Amid an increase in tensions and violence in the Holy Land, the Patriarch of Jerusalem says he believes his appointment to the rank of cardinal shows his city's vocation to dialogue. Archbishop Pierre Battista Pizzaballa will be among the 21 men elevated to the College of Cardinals on September 30th. He told Vatican Media that the church in Jerusalem has a vocation to universality, dialogue, and encounter, and a special mission to call all Christians and non-Christians to encounter and to reconciliation. He said he believes his elevation to cardinal will be an invitation to continue along this path. One American-born bishop announced by Pope Francis to be a new cardinal has expressed his surprise and gratitude. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. Amongst those just appointed is Augustinian Archbishop Robert Prevost, Prefect of the Dicastery for Bishops. Archbishop Prevost is from Chicago and a member of the Order of St. Augustine. He served for a decade and a half in the missions in Peru, followed by teaching in the U.S., leadership roles as Prior General of the entire Order for two terms, and later as a bishop in Peru. Pope Francis appointed him Prefect of the Dicastery for Bishops in 2023. Reacting to Pope Francis's naming him a cardinal, Archbishop Prevost expressed his incredible surprise while also entrusting to the Lord this new responsibility and all it entails. For me, it's not coincidence that 
that uh, Pope Francis has decided to name this new group of cardinals uh, right at the very beginning of the first session of the Universal Synod on Synodality. And I truly believe that all of us are called to walk together. That's what synodality means, or synod means, but to, to truly search for the will of God, the presence of the Spirit, listening to one another, and, and carrying on this mission of service and of love that, that is so much central to the, to the very meaning of what church is about, and to follow Jesus Christ and to continue his mission in the world. That was Cardinal-elect Robert Prevost, Prefect of the Dicastery for Bishops. I'm Linda Bordoni. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the 2023 Home Run Derby champion. He joined Senior to become the first father-son duo to win the event. The Blue Jays slugger smashed 25 home runs in the final round last night. So his arms are probably tired as the top players in baseball are set to take the field for the 2023 MLB All-Star Game tonight. The American League will be going for its 10th straight victory over the National League when the two sides square off at T-Mobile Park. Okay, so we uh, we have uh, we have a game tonight, and it's was it the uh, is it home field advantage? Is that the uh, yeah in like, the World Series? Yeah, they they change baseball rules a lot, so I just want to make sure that that's still what's happening. I'm trying to look to Paul Lockman to tell me if that is the truth. I don't yeah, think he was sure listening to you. Do it's we that still or have a free it? slushy and I can't remember which one it is. Well, you know there is a free slushy today. Where? Did you did you just make that up? Yeah, I just made that up. Where's the free slushy? 7-Eleven. Oh. It's 7-Eleven 23. I didn't even it's think like about that. Free Slurpee day at 7-Eleven. Yeah, that's a Slurpee, not a slushy. Well, <laughs> Okay, that's like the same thing to me. There are, no, is that's there not. A, it's what not is the difference? Okay, so the Slurpee and the Slurpee, I think the difference is the brand and the region. It's like... Um, <clears throat> well, Speedway uh, and Stripes. I don't know what Stripes is. I've seen Speedways. Okay. Um, this offer extends to them as well. I must be uh, under so the same parent company. So you can get a free, company. small Slurpee, or I assume slushy. It's like how snow cones and snowballs and shave ice all kind of have different regional names. Mm -hmm. There's the one they have in Philly, the water ice. So it's semantics. Which water ice is actually very flavorful, but sounds like the least flavorful of all frozen treats. I love a water ice. Sounds like. So there is no difference between a Slurpee and a slushy. That's what you're telling me. It's just the name. Not to my knowledge. Okay. So all of that to learn that they're the same. They're synonyms, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to have to go to 7-Eleven. But you can get a free one today, yeah, on 7-Eleven. Hey, 7-Eleven, proud sponsor of that. Wait, actually, they're not. Today is 7-Eleven, the feast of St. Benedict, most importantly, on the calendar today. St. Benedict of Nursia, pray for us. It's nine past. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Frank Donio from the Catholic Apostolate Center. Good morning, Father Frank. Good morning, Anna. So we're continuing to dive into the National Pastoral Framework for Marriage and Family Life from the U.S. Bishops Conference and and looking at accompaniment in specific life situations. And today we're moving into accompanying someone 
whose spouse has died, widows and, and widowers, of course. Now, no matter what age you are, when your spouse dies, whether you're young or whether you're old, losing your husband or wife is hard. It, it's very difficult, very traumatic. Even if a person has had extended illness, when the time actually comes, it is it is very, very, very challenging uh, for for many. And especially also people who maybe has, have been giving, doing a lot of caregiving, and then that's been the focus of their lives for maybe even several years. And then the spouse dies, suddenly there's this void. And no matter what, there's a void. But this is even bigger because the whole, one's whole life has been around caring for this loved one. I mean, this is your identity, right? I mean, when the two become one flesh, you yes. are, that is your identity, you it, and, and your spouse. Absolutely. And the longer that people have been married, the more difficult it, it is. And that's, that is a very much a, a, a reality and one that parish communities, I think, often are, are very good at once right at the time of death. Mm -hmm. And even for maybe up to a year, some of the parish communities have bereavement groups and they have uh, people who have been trained to be able to connect with widows and widowers. But often after that first year, it, it is not as, maybe not as present. And what the pastoral framework is looking at, well, how do we engage those who are widows and widowers to to be engaged in the life of the parish community and to give of themselves there. Yeah, this is so important that they don't get forgotten. So what are the the highest priorities when it comes to ministering widows and widowers? Well, the first thing is is that the the prayer aspect. So interceding for the soul of their loved one and in prayer and mass offerings and works of mercy we have the doctrine of purgatory and that that people people have a particular judgment at the time that they that they die and there's the heaven hell and then there's this doctrine of purgatory which is a great act of the mercy of god in in which those who are not are headed toward hopefully toward heaven but they they're not going to hell, so therefore, they're in this this state of greater purification. And this is when we talk about praying for the dead. This is why we're praying for the dead. We're not, we're not praying for people who are in heaven. They're praying for us. Yeah. And so these are for the people who are on their way. And so our acts of mercy mean something. That's why we have mass offerings as well. We offer masses for those who have, have died we uh we pray so this is this is part of it as well as then the parish community the clergy pastoral leaders parish staff reaching out to widows and widowers to become engaged in the parish and we see this often how often do we see in parishes many times the the most active people are the people whose spouse has died and and their family has grown and they have this time to give to the parish community. And they often give in tremendous and beautiful ways and all sorts of ways of, of great service to the parish community and to 
various Catholic organizations as well. Yeah, and I would imagine it doesn't hurt to ask for that kind of service from them. I mean, sometimes you think, oh, they probably just want to be left alone, you know, like we have it, we kind of tiptoe around the issue because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to get them upset, stuff like that. I mean, it's like well-meaning, but at the same time, they have so many gifts that could really grace your parish life. Why not ask them to to do that? Yes. And and now you're not going to ask immediately after, sure. well, but of course. but after some months have gone by, it's an opportunity to to ask and and to engage. They all may well already be people who are engaged in the parish community and so to make it to to continue to welcome them uh in in their activity. But also even on the part of a widow or widower to to be to undertake volunteers or that there's an encouragement in the framework pastoral framework about doing spiritual and corporal works of mercy that might be might be new i remember my my one of my grandmothers who became very involved in volunteer service at a at a local hospital and was was very much involved in that in her after after my grandfather died and she was retired and she started to do that and she was very much involved and engaged for many years uh, because my grandfather had died fairly young. And that was something that, that was very rewarding. And we see this in all sorts of ways that this can occur. Father, when it comes to reaching out to widows and widowers, can you um, talk about the importance of this? This might sound like a curveball here, but I'm thinking about the way that deacons came to be in the early church was particularly over uh, a controversy involving outreach to widows. And so um, so the parish, I mean, from the very beginning, there were those who were designated for this kind of ministry. And, and so they should not be forgotten by a, by a parish long no. after the funeral takes place. No, they they shouldn't be forgotten, and and in fact, there there needs to be extra outreach that's done and care. You know, grief comes in all sorts of ways, and it comes often in waves and at different times. It's not each person's grief is is different, mm-hmm. and so you may have all this attention, and then the funeral is over and so forth, and oh well, we get back to life. Well, that's not how grief works. Reaching out to from the parish community on the part of the pastoral staff and other parishioners is very important during, uh, especially over the first year and then even beyond. And that may sound a little strange, but it's not. It's something that often people are very alone in, are, are not accompanied as well as they can be. Some parishes do a wonderful job at this, but it, it is something that is important for us to keep connected with and do. Well, thank you so much, Father Frank Donio. You can go read more of this document over at the U.S. Bishop's website, and you can find Father Frank linked through the Catholic Apostolate Center at sunrisemorningshow.com. 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this.
For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swain, grateful the Visiting Angels underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide to continue living at home rather than a nursing home. Experienced, compassionate caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. And services are provided up to 24 hours per day with caregiver selection before service begins. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some Monk Shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I feel that God has been really doing a work in me in the last five, ten years. I'm a convert to Catholicism, and I started to just really feel a passion to know more about the Catholic faith, and I started listening to Catholic radio all day. I'm not doing great things, but I'm doing small things with great love. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. 19 past, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis today has appointed a new bishop for the Diocese of Fairbanks, Alaska. President Biden is joining other NATO leaders at a summit in Lithuania, and the White House has confirmed he will meet with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in person. And Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Chelta or Celta football team reflecting on how sports teach sacrifice and teamwork. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Want to mention a few of the patronages of St. Benedict. So against gallstones, inflammatory diseases, kidney stuff, temptations, witchcraft. We mentioned some of that with the St. Benedict medal. But also, as my favorite, he's patron saint of spelunkers. Ah, so if you're gonna go because caving, he went and lived in a cave for yeah, a while. Yeah, if you're going to go caving yeah. at any point during the summer, maybe to Mammoth Cave or, you know, Carlsbad Caverns, take your St. Benedict medal with you and uh, have a good time and do not get lost in that cave. If you do, then St. Benedict, pray for us. Iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. An act of love. Lord, teach me to love you as you deserve. Teach me to love you above all else. You created me to glorify you, and I glorify you by reflecting your image and likeness ever more fully. I glorify you not by my own might and striving apart from you, but by my humility, by my receptivity to your light, and by my response to your love. I love you because you are entirely good. It is you who enkindle my soul, who stir my will into act by giving me your own spirit of love. I want nothing but you, no love but yours to reign in my heart. Be my supreme love, my very love, that I may live in you and you in me. Nothing but you, Lord. I want to be filled with you, to see you, to taste and to know and delight in you alone. Not for my pleasure, but for your glory, now and forever. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Father Patrick Briscoe, and he is with Our Sunday Visitor, and he's got an article on fixing the working class problem in the Catholic Church. Little does he know, this is a soapbox of mine. Father Briscoe, good morning. Hey, Matt, I did not know this was one of your soapboxes. Well, it is one of my soapboxes because I work with the Coming Home Network. We're working with all kinds of people who are coming into the church from various backgrounds, and stop me if you've heard this one before. The, uh, the sort of football spike in the Catholic world when we say all of the most educated Protestants become Catholics and all of the least educated Catholics become Protestants and people saying it as though it's a good thing. I don't want anybody becoming Protestant. (laughs) And especially I don't want to create some sort of weird elitist environment where only smart people are allowed to hang out here and only people with master's degrees can be in the pews. Right, that's exactly right. You know, and as I said in the article, it was something that I noticed in our parish, I couldn't believe it when I became a parish priest, that the pews were filled with, with white-collar professionals. I was, I was absolutely shocked by it. And I, I saw it becoming an increasing trend because it didn't represent my experience of the Church growing up, which was, uh, which was people from, people from all, different, all different kinds of backgrounds. And, and I was surprised to find this new data uh, that demonstrates that it wasn't just anecdotal. It wasn't just my experience at one parish, but this is a, this is an increasing trend uh, for Christianity in general. So then, what does that look like uh, from a practical perspective in terms of the effect it's having having on parish life? Right. Well, I think there's uh, there's a lot of conversation in Catholic land uh, in the church, as you're certainly well aware, about our need for catechesis and. That's true. We do have to work to educate the faithful. But I think when we lead with education programs, when we lead with formation, we're going to attract people that are already involved in education or people that, are, that already have a kind of base level of formation. So if we double down on those efforts, um, I, I think our reach is going to be limited. The kinds of things that build up communities are broader. They foster social life, and they ha- they have a more basic kind of outreach. So one of the things that I like to talk about 
at uh, at our parish that, that was extremely successful. Um, to, to my chagrin, I, I didn't think it would be as successful as it was. Um, was a summer bocce league. It became one of the very best things that we started at our parish because we engaged in the bocce league all different kinds of people from the neighborhood that we otherwise wouldn't have spoken to even at the church. And so things like bocce leagues that that put the church at the center of community life, again, the, those are places where, where we really need to double down on our efforts, in my view. You know, I was just having this conversation a little bit ago. You know, I went to a Catholic family camp uh, up in Steubenville, Catholic family land, and it was, you know, kind of a wild and surreal experience because I'd never been around that kind of a world full of just like big families hanging out uh, for like a week where everybody's Catholic and it's just normal for people to stop and do the divine mercy chaplet in the middle of the day. <laughs> um, uh, but one of the things that I, I, I was struck by in the course of it is that the catechetical aspect of that whole thing was only like in the morning time before lunch and everything else was sort of free time. And I think that was sort of the strength of this whole Catholic family camp experience and can be the strength of a parish too, in that, you know, in this, Zoom world, right, in a post-pandemic society where everything is digital, everything is online, and people are starved for community, yeah, we got to have programs, yeah, we got to have catechesis, but people are starved for just hanging out with good people who are trying to do the right thing, and are we providing opportunities for that, or are we saying, you want to be involved at church? Buy a handbook for $35 and meet us on, you know, the third Thursday of the month for the next six months. I mean, I I feel like Regular people need a place to hang out with people who have values without thinking to themselves, I've got to take a class. That's, ex- that's exactly right, man. And I'm saying that, you know, as a Dominican friar, as someone I told you this was my soapbox. You sign up got for the class, started. you know. When we, du- when we double down on that kind of, out- on, on that kind of outreach, on the kind of outreach that, that really fosters community, we fight, you know, another one of our great problems, which is the loneliness epidemic. And that's not what, but this, what this post is about, but they're, they're, they've got to be related. Yeah, they really do. And I think, too, that uh, really the, the idea of the parish as the center of a community is, is sort of, it's a little harder to get your hands around in, uh, in the suburban sprawl of Catholicism. I think it might have made a little bit more sense to have the church as the center of the community. Uh, when you had more urban flourishing parishes, and uh, you know the the flight to the suburbs has certainly got a demographic effect there, um, that you know if you can't walk to church, then you know that that sort of changes <laughs> changes some stuff. But you know how how do we maybe go about uh, in our own parishes not falling into that trap of just attracting only people who have been to college and only people who have bachelor's degrees and only people who live kind of like in the suburban you know consumer demographic absolutely i think um anything that anything that brings people together you know people people say it often but it's it's worth echoing i mean it's certainly my view that uh that that food or a drink um that will bring people together uh, as long as there's as long as there's (laughs) as long as there's an interesting conversation you know, when when people know, for example, that the priest wants to be there, they'll they'll show up just to be there with the priest. Another thing that worked well at our parish was there's a group of families um, that ha- that have that have regular dinners together, regular Sunday dinners. Um, you know, so once a month, once every two months, uh, this group of families um, gathers for Sunday dinner. And um, so so that's that's another way to get around just just to have events that are that are that are purely social. That are just about you know a, a little sharing. It could be simple. I think I think it doesn't have to be complicated. 
The risk is when we decide we need another program, uh, that that's when that's when we've already failed. <laughs> uh, the the idea I think has to has to be more casual. Another one that I've seen work really well is first Fridays to have a Friday night mass and then a then a potluck dinner afterward. Something something regular that's that's easy enough to organize that that people know can be there and can be a fixed part of their life. Well, thanks so much, Father Patrick Briscoe. You can find him linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Pope Francis has appointed a new bishop today for the Diocese of Fairbanks, Alaska. He has chosen Dominican Father Stephen Mikawa to take over the vacancy left by Bishop Chad Zelensky. He was appointed the Bishop of New Ulm, Minnesota, about a year ago. Up until now, the bishop-elect has been serving as a parish priest in the Archdiocese of Anchorage, Juneau. President Biden is set to meet one-on-one with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky at this week's NATO summit in Europe. The White House confirmed the news, and it's reported the meeting will take place on Wednesday, tomorrow. Russia's war in Ukraine is among the top agenda items for NATO leaders. Biden recently made clear that he believes the war must end before Ukraine can join the NATO alliance. The Secret Service is expected to wrap up its investigation soon into the discovery of a small bag of cocaine at the White House. Mark Mayfield reports. Agents found the powder during a routine sweep of the building on July 2nd while President Biden and his family were at Camp David for the holiday weekend. White House officials last week promised appropriate consequences if anyone in the Biden administration is found to be responsible. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said the administration has rigorous drug use policies. I'm Mark Mayfield. Extreme weather is in the forecast throughout the United States this week. A storm that moved across the Northeast over the weekend has brought heavy rainfall, particularly to New York and Vermont. It has already resulted in at least one death while leaving collapsed bridges, washed out roads and stranded drivers. Forecasters say parts of the region are under a rare high risk of excessive rainfall through early today. Meantime, more than 42 million Americans are under heat warnings this week. The extreme temperatures are hitting states like California, Arizona, Texas, and Florida especially. Pope Francis met yesterday with members of the Chelta football team, reflecting with them on how sports teach sacrifice and teamwork. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Noting that Chelta bears the same sky-blue colors of the Virgin Mary and of the national team of Argentina, Pope Francis started his reflection by remarking that it is almost as if Mary had wanted to put herself between the two shores of the Atlantic, which has united us more than separating us, so that we never forget her. The Pope further reflected on another feature of the insignia of the club, the cross of St. James, rising like a banner of victory. Like the cross of St. James, the Pope remarked, both in the stadium and in life, your weapons are those small gestures to which we sometimes don't pay any attention. Working as a team without relying only on one's own strength and understanding that victory belongs to everyone. It is also giving oneself generously, sparing no effort, knowing how to sacrifice oneself for the other. 
Moreover, the Pope continued, it is accepting that comparing ourselves with other teams serves to improve, to learn, to test ourselves and evaluate our game. In this light, the adversary is always a welcome friend. If our game and our life will coherently set this example, Pope Francis remarked, we will be able to convey not the passion for the colours that exclude, but the love for what they represent. Concluding, the Pope insisted once again on the importance of preserving the amateur dimension of sport. When sport loses this dimension, he warned, it turns into an aseptic business. I am Lisa Zengarini. The mayor of Los Angeles is renewing her homelessness emergency declaration. Mayor Karen Bass calls the homeless crisis a matter of life and death. The updated declaration is designed to give the mayor expanded emergency powers covering several issues. It's estimated about 46,000 people are living without housing in the City of Angels. And the City of Memphis is attempting to stop a civil lawsuit that has been filed by Tyree Nichols' mother and his estate, saying the city was not responsible for his death. That's the news. It's 35 past the This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, why do we receive the gift of counsel? We receive the gift of counsel to warn us of the deceits of the devil, of the dangers to salvation, and to allow us to hear God speaking to us. Counsel. A good businessman will have many counselors. And this is also the way of the spiritual life. Because I do not know the way forward, I have to have someone to guide my steps. And this person who guides me is the Holy Spirit. He warns me of the devil. He warns me of the dangers to salvation especially dangers which I may not myself recognize. But above all, the Holy Spirit comes and speaks within me, the one who speaks to us interiorly, telling us, this is what God wants you to do. This is the way to salvation. And so we can say, come Holy Spirit, help my ears always to be open to God's word. Inflame my heart so that when I hear a counsel, I might follow it willingly. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Steve Ray from CatholicConvert.com. And we've been doing a series for a while now on various things that show up 
over and over again in the Bible. Today we talk about friends and enemies of God in the Bible. Steve, good morning. Good, good morning, Matt. Always nice to talk to you. We have friends and enemies of God in the Bible, but since there's so much to this, we're just going to do friends today, and we'll do enemies next week so that we can cover this a little better. And the first five of the friends of God come from the book of Genesis. And I want to just make an announcement that my book on Genesis is now published and ready, so later today I'll have a thing up on my website where you can buy it. Well, and you can uh, learn more about the friends we're going to talk about this morning. What's wild to me, and uh, we sort of take it for granted because you and I both live in a world where Jesus has already come and died on the cross and ascended and established a church, but the idea of calling God a friend, that would have been a very, very strange thing to do, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, because he is eminent transcendence. You can't see him. He's uh, invisible. So, yes, it would be. it is a strange thing. And yet, God made us in his image. He is infinite. We're finite, but we're still made in his image with the ability to communicate, with the ability to think, to have abstract thoughts, to have relationships. And so he created us for the very purpose of having a relationship with him, being his friend. And in fact, when he made us, I view it as the Trinity. They're having so much fun together. They loved each other. And this is even in the catechism, that it just kind of bubbled over. And they said, we got to create creatures that are like us so that we can share all of this love and fun together. And that's why he made us. He didn't make us to condemn us. He made us to be his friend. Well, let's talk about some of these friends of God, uh, and some of them have a little bit stormy of, of relationships with God <laughs> at various points, but who doesn't have stormy relationship with their friends? Right. So uh, if have, you could, walk us through some of these. Okay, we have 10 of these friends of God, so we don't have much time to talk about each one, but I put the first one as Adam and Eve, and that's why I think you said a tumultuous relationship, because they started out in perfect friendship with God. He even says he walked with them in the cool of the evening. So when the sun is setting and it cools down, he walks and he talks with them in the garden. And they were his co-creators. They were to create and have other human beings and to take care of the world that he had created. And they were to be his uh, co-regent, so to speak, his vice president of of the university he'd created. But disobedience brought separation and death them. But the beauty of this is, Matt, is the redemptive work of Christ. What ends up happening is if you do a search on um, of icons on Google, for example, you can find images of Jesus pulling Adam and Eve up out of the grave on the last day. And Eve usually has her right hand covered with a cloth because she's ashamed of what her right hand did by picking that fruit. And we know that they are they're saints in the calendar of the church, because their feast day is on New Year's Eve, Adam and Eve. It's Christmas Eve, actually, right? Uh, I, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Christmas Eve, yes. Which I yes. find I'm fascinating because, right, this is uh, the new Adam is born the next day, uh, which yeah, is pretty that's cool. Right. And that's why the church is so smart to make that their feast day. So Adam and Eve are the first friends of God in that sense. Then we move to Genesis chapter 5. We have this mysterious guy named Enoch, and he prepares the way for the Blessed Virgin Mary. I don't think most people realize that, but what happened to him, it says Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. And in the Septuagint, it says that he pleased God. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It says that Enoch pleased God. He walked and, had, and pleased him. That means communion, friendship, fellowship, that he was a righteous man. And it says in Hebrews that by faith, Enoch was taken up or assumed 
so that all, he should not see death. He was not found because God took him. Now, this is a man who walked with God, and that gives you the same kind of idea of Adam and Eve, that they had a special relationship and fellowship together. They even walked and talked together, and God wanted him so much in heaven, he just came down and took him up. He was assumed into heaven, which is why when we talk about Mary being assumed into heaven, it's no big deal because Enoch and Elijah were assumed even before her. All I can say about the story of Enoch is I wish people had written down a little bit more about him because that's a uh, yes. There's a there's feel like there was a lot going on there, <laughs> but let's talk yeah, about Noah because get... there's there's yeah. plenty about Noah. Yeah, Noah. <clears throat> it's always interesting when a story starts out with Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Generation and Noah walked with God. So here's the, the term walks now. We've got really three times already that they walked with God, and that's something that we should be doing as well. Our whole day should be walking in His presence. We should be aware of His presence that He's walking with us. But Noah, it, it, Job gets the same kind of thing that he was a righteous man. So this is a testimony of, from God that He's a righteous, blameless, and He walked with God. And in the book of Sirach, it says Noah was found perfect and righteous in the time of wrath. He was taken up in exchange. Therefore, a remnant was left on the earth. God chose Noah out of all of the corruption that was going on in the world, all the sin and evil. He picked Noah and said, I'm walking with you. You've walked with me. You're a righteous, blameless man, so I'm going to use you to start a new creation, in a sense, and you'll be going through the flood. And by faith, Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, it says. And the next great one, really, maybe probably the best one, and this Abraham is the only one that it actually says anywhere in the Bible that he is a friend of God. We see that three times the Bible refers to Abraham as a friend of God. The others walked with him, they talked with him, but Abraham is the only one in the Bible that said he is actually three times, he is a friend of God. Scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You can see it also in Sirach and Chronicles. And it's so interesting. He's the one who prepared a meal for the Trinity. The three strangers in Genesis 18, it doesn't say who they are, but he refers to those three in the singular as Lord singular he referred to those three and he fed them and they are one of the probably the most famous icon that has ever been created is by rublev in russia and it's called the trinity and it's these three eating at the hand of abraham so he's called the friend of god well what's interesting and we heard about this in the readings uh actually very recently in daily mass that uh abraham's uh, you know, you've got Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, and uh, Jacob has this dream and this vision uh, of the Lord uh, making a promise very similar to what was made to Abraham, uh, and it's a way of saying, I'm not just your grandpa's friend, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm here to be with you as well. Right. Now, he has a special relationship because he is grandpa's grandson, but he, on his own, has to have a relationship with God. He can't just coast along. And even though his name means offender, wrongdoer, cheat, guile, full of guile, that's what Jacob means, yet God introduces himself to him. And what I like is that God even says to Moses later, Moses, what's your name? And he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the cheat. 
He's yeah. the God of Jacob, too. And that's what's nice about that is if he can be the God of Jacob, man, he can be the God of Steve Ray and Matt, too. And so here, but it, what's funny about Jacob is when God speaks to him the first time to himself, not just piggybacking off of grandpa and dad, but he says, I'm going to be with you and I'll do these things. And, Ab- and Jacob says, okay, I'll tell you what. If you do what you say, and if you bring me back to the land, and if you do this, and if you do this, then you will be my God. He's always the negotiator. He's always the, the slippery guy. And But God does call him. And, and in the end, in Genesis 32, it says that Jacob wrestled with God all night long, and God blessed him. And he says, today I have seen the face of God face to face, and my life has been preserved. So he is named Israel the new name Israel, which means one who wrestles with God, and he has a unique relationship with God. It's a little more testy than the others, but he learned through his troubles to to quiet down and to be more of a... a, a, And all of these, the thing that has something to do with them is their obedience and their righteousness. Faith, yes, but also not faith alone. It is also righteousness and obedience and their willingness to walk with God and have a relationship with him, kind of like a father and a son. Now, Moses is the next one. He speaks to God face to face. God even says, other prophets or so on, I speak to them in dreams. But Moses, I speak face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So here is God saying, he doesn't say Moses is his friend directly, but it says, I speak to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses, with Moses, I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark prophecies or sayings. So Moses also has this very unique relationship with God in the book of Sirach, that he was beloved by God and man. Job, we're almost done here, we got two more to go. Job is one that said that prior to this, it says, have you can, the devil hears this from God. God makes this testimony about Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So see, again, this is the foundation for this kind of walking relationship with God. And then when after Job comes back out of his trials, as in, uh, in the days that I was in my prime, when I was, friendship with God was over my tent. So he refers to, prior to his troubles, the friendship he has with God. Just because you're a friend doesn't mean you're not going to have trials, by the way. Job is a good example of that. But at the end, when he comes through his trials, he recognizes God is still his friend and that he has been blessed by God. David is the last one we'll do of the, um, of the friends. We have the apostles and all the believers. They're called friends, too. But David, it says that he was a man after God's own heart. And so when you look at David, he is a great sinner, but he's also a great repenter. And because of his willingness to always confess his sins, have a good heart towards God, even though he sins, he repents. My heart will do his will. And David was uh, also a friend of God in that sense. And then there's the apostles, and then there's us. We're the friends of God, too. Well, there's a lot, and uh, there are, well, as you can see from just your your summary, again, these are very some stormy friendships. God's faithful on his end. Uh, the people on the other end of the friendship don't always hold up their end of the friendship so well, but God yeah, is faithful regardless. Uh, Steve, we got Catholic Convert linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Click on over and find Steve's resources, including his book on Genesis that he mentioned at the top of the interview. Steve, thanks so much. Have a great one. Thank you, Matt. We'll talk to you next week. All right, more on St. Benedict on this his feast day with Chris McGregor coming up after the break. It's 12 till. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. 
founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And all the people who are working so hard to get us on radio, you know, that's wonderful. And even if you reach 100 miles or 50 miles, you help spread the word. And we do all the programming for you. Programming is the expensive stuff, you know, so you don't have to worry about programming. And so we want to thank you for everything you've done to make this radio possible. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Chris, good morning. Good morning and happy feast day. Happy St. Benedict. Yes, absolutely. This week's selection from the Office of Readings is from the Rule of St. Benedict for his July 11th feast day. And you are a Benedictine oblate. So how important is his feast for you and your fellow Benedictines? Oh, it's just the Holy Father, St. Benedict. This is his day. It is a time for us to recall, as we always do, the importance of stability, humility, Mm. obedience, so many of the things that he brought forward to us and uh, offers to the world today, especially, uh, well, in this office of readings, we get just a glimpse of uh, just the jewel that is the Holy Rule. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's so practical. I mean, anyone who lives can find so much that is applicable to just life in general when you read the rule of St. Benedict. I'm curious, though, how does the rule fit into the life of a, of a Benedictine oblate? Do you, do you keep it in mind at all times? I do. I mean, and Bruce, my whole family, it offers us a type of stability that we need so much. I think, you know, having a rule of life, a way to uh, break through the chaos of every single distraction that's coming forth. And it's about marking the time of the day, taking time for prayer, um, time for rest, time for work. Um, it, it, it's just, it's so important. And even if you were to take the little blue book that has the Holy Rule, it might be confusing for some because originally this wonderful work was brought forward in the, about 1500 years ago, around 529. Mm. And, uh, probably was more promulgated because St. Greg, Pope St. Gregory the Great said it's remarkable for its discretion and its elegant language. And because he endorsed it, I think that's one of the reasons why it spread so rapidly around the world. Yeah. Pope St. Gregory the Great uh, doing many things to advance the life of St. Benedict to uh, to more and more people, of course, writing a life of St. Benedict 
um, as well. Now, looking at the Office of Readings that we have for today, it comes from the rule of St. Benedict. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of uh, which part of the rule we get? Sure. It comes from the prologue. It's actually the second paragraph if you were to pick up a copy of the rule. And right before that is probably one of the most important things. You could sit and ponder it all day. Mm. But he talks right out, out of the bat. Listen carefully, my son, to the master's instructions and attend to them with the ear of your heart. Mm. Okay, now mm. if you if you know that from the very beginning, um, and he says, this is advice from a father who loves you um, and welcome it and faithfully put it into practice. Okay, that that faithfully listening deeply, that's obedience. And realize that it's coming from a place of love, you receive it. Okay, so when you understand that first paragraph and that first instruction, then the rest of it all makes wonderful sense. And that's what happens in this office of readings. He's pressing us to become perfect, but only by allowing Christ become perfect in us. Appeal to Christ first. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't be self-reliant, but allow the word that's dwelling in you help bring anything you try to do today into perfection. Wow. Does this, that make sense? You said this was the second paragraph, the the selection that we get today is the it's, second paragraph of the entire rule? Well, it begins, yeah. It begins wow. with the second section, a second paragraph, and then it goes on, of course, for uh, several more. Sure, sure. But, um, yeah, it is... Uh, but I kind of wish they would have had that first part in, but the church yeah. in its great wisdom knows exactly what it's well, doing. Well, I so. bring this up because of all of the things that St. Benedict could have written first in his rule, that's what he chose to write first is, first of all, listen with the ear of your heart. So conform your hearts to what you hear. And then starts talking about making every good work appeal first to Christ before you begin doing anything. That's right. Because if you begin your day for a Benedictine, what you do, well, for all of us, we're all called to this, by starting with the word, Lexio Divina, you've heard that, that Mm -hmm. meditating on the divine word, allowing the word to come into your heart, then receiving that like Mary it allows Christ and that word to, to permeate your whole presence. The divine presence comes to live in us, literally, because we're listening. And he's making known to us, um, you know, setting our course straight, as it were. So what happens is that no matter what you have to do today, appeal to him anything because his presence is in you. You know, and it's a given for Catholics, too. It's just like when you receive communion, communication, the, the great, when we go and receive the Eucharist, it's the same thing. He's dwelling in us. So first appeal to him so that and allow him to take over. You know, Jesus, you take over. And then that sets the course and the rhythm of your day. Yeah. And that type of stability, that kind of direction, it has helped the 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 church throughout the world. You look at Saint Francis, Saint Clare, Saint uh, even Saint Ignatius of Loyola, and so many others have gone to the to the monasteries first before their great missions and learn how to pray because of the Holy Rule. Mm-hmm.
St. Benedict, pray for us. Chris McGregor, thank you so much. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.